Good morning. Today we'll be reading from Romans chapter 7, verses 1 to 25. Or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives? For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law, and if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who is raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit, and not in the old way of the written code. What then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, You shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law. But when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin seized an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it killed me. So the law is holy, and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin, and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that what... When I want to do something right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Thank you. Thanks, Noel, for reading for us. I want to, uh, just before we uh, start thinking about this, uh, also encourage you about this evening. And uh, I was listening to a podcast during the week where they were talking about singleness. And I think. 
part of reclaiming God's good design for sex is recognizing that the world idolizes romantic relationships and sexual expression. But as Christians, um, that romanticism and, and idolization of those things is not helpful. And uh, for some people, uh, singleness is what God has called them to. And if, if you're one of those people, we want you to know that um, you are loved by God just as much as everyone else, and you can find family amongst God's community just as much as anyone else. Um, yeah, so tonight's series, uh, the series for the next three weeks, ought not to exclude anyone. Uh, and I encourage you to come along and, and join in uh, listening and the discussion. I'm going to pray and then we're going to think about this passage from God's word together. Heavenly Father, we ask that we might have understanding of a passage which is a difficult one and sometimes a confusing one. Help us, we pray, not only to understand it, but to hear your voice whispering to us by the power of your Holy Spirit with your love for us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as you know, we're reading Romans backwards and um, our series, uh, we come to chapter 7 and this was uh, originally entitled Bound to Christ but I sort of felt like it was more We Belong to Christ uh, is what uh, the title of the sermon should be. The context is the whole letter of the book of Romans and uh, as Jonathan and I were talking about it during sermon and scripture during the week um, I I was reminded of where we were near the beginning of this sermon series which was near the end of the book of Romans it's confusing isn't it Um, but at the end of the book of Romans we, we saw that there's two groups in the church at Rome that the book was written to, I mean the church, the book was written to the church in Rome, but there was two groups within that church that were sort of uh, at odds with one another and there was conflict and so we had the weak and the strong and uh, the weak were, and this is a recap, I know we've gone all over this weeks and weeks ago, but, but the weak were largely Jewish Christians, this is the Paul characterizes them as the weak. Uh, That's not something (laughs) I'm saying or Jonathan's saying. Uh, It's what Paul says about them. They were probably recently returned to Rome, having been exiled previously. They were likely poorer. And their key desire was to keep the Jewish dietary practices and the Jewish law. And then you have the strong, who were largely Gentile Christians who'd never left Rome. They were established, they were more powerful and more wealthy in that society. And they embraced liberty from Jewish traditions. And so the tensions that arose in the church were around this idea of what happens with the Jewish law. How do we respond as Christians to the law? And so um, today's passage is largely about the law. You might have, I don't know if you picked it up when Noel uh, was reading. Thanks, Noel, for reading. And, and there's so many mentions of the word law or the commandment uh, in this passage. It's, it's overwhelming. 
Lots of mentions of the word sin as well. It can get quite confusing, this passage. Uh, But we've got to remember that this is written to this church where you had two groups of people who were at odds with one another about how do we relate to the law. And that's really important for us to be aware of. Um, Also, as we've seen in chapters 1 through to 6, Paul's made it really, really clear that we're not saved by observing the law. We're saved by faith in Jesus Christ. And that's important for us to be aware of as well. And and then I I put Romans 7 and 8 as context. This is chapter 7, and and you could really hold the two chapters together, chapters 7 and 8 together. So when we come to next week, um, you'll, you'll see how they fit together. But it's helpful for us t- when we come to the scriptures to hold these things all together and to recognize that this passage is in a context. Our right outline for today, um, and I want to uh, just acknowledge um, some of the wording in, in the outline I've taken from a commentary from Kenneth Boa and William Crudenier. Um, A lot of the commentaries sort of split this passage up in these three chunks. Um, You've got verses 1 to 6, and that's the believer's death to law. And then verses 7 to 13, the believer's knowledge of sin from law. And verses 14 to 25, the believer's conflict with law. So let's uh, start having a look at it together. In verses 1 to 6, we have the believer's death to law. And this passage starts off here with Paul giving an illustration. And, and he says, Don't you know, brothers and sisters? And he says, For I am speaking to those who know the law. And so that immediately tells us that he's speaking to the group of believers in the church that were characterized later as the weak probably the Jewish Christians who were seeking to follow God's law and felt that it was really important for everyone in the church to be following God's law. And Paul says, I'm speaking to those who know the law. The Gentile believers, the Gentile Christians, they hadn't grown up with this adherence to the law. They hadn't grown up with this affection for God's law. The Jewish people believed that the fact that God had given them his law was one of the the wonderful benefits, one of the things that made them special, God's chosen people. And so these are the ones that Paul is writing to in the first section here of the chapter. And he says, don't you know that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives? Thus a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives, But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. So he's giving an example of an instance where the law doesn't apply. It doesn't apply in marriage when one of the partners dies. You're no longer bound to that person by the marriage covenant when one of the partners dies. 
And the point of what Paul is saying is that death brings about an instance where we are no longer bound by the law and he then goes on having used that example to say likewise brothers and sisters you also died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another to him who has been raised from the dead in Jesus in his death we died to the law. And we now belong to Jesus. We belong to the one who was raised from the dead. We're no longer bound by the law. Paul is wanting us to understand that this law, <laughs> the, the, the Bible, the Old Testament, we're not bound to live by that the same way the Jewish people thought that they were. We've been set free from that in Christ. We've been set free so that we might belong to him. I loved the illustration um, Jonathan used last week at our family service where he was talking about the, the household and the rules in the household and when Joanna went away recently um, there was a list of rules uh, and on Sunday night uh, when Jonathan preached the same sermon he sort of brought something out that that hadn't hit me in the morning and um, and then I was talking with him about it during the week and he said yeah I forgot to say it in the morning but but when when Joanna came back into the household not only does she she come back and and they don't need the list anymore because the list is in Joanna's head but but the much greater and more wonderful thing is that they have the life of Joanna with them they let, they have her joy they have uh, who she is the the life that she brings and and when Christ comes into our hearts by faith the law it's, it's still there, but Christ brings with him his life, his joy. We now live, as we read here in verse 6, in the new life of the Spirit, so that we serve not under the old written code, but in the new life of the Spirit. How precious that is. That we no longer are bound by the law, but that Jesus lives within us so that we can live by the life of the Spirit. And we bear fruit for God in that new life. I thought this was uh, really helpful. I don't know if you can read that. Yeah, maybe not too bad. John Stott um, had a number of things that, that he sort of contrasted between Romans 6 and Romans 7 that I thought was really helpful. Um, and having read that, I was then reading um, Boa and Crudenier, and they put it into a table. And I, I don't know about you, but I love tables. <laughs> Okay, so I saw this table, I thought this is too good not to share. 
Um, so in Romans chapter 6, Paul is talking about freedom from sin. Uh, he talks about us in, in Romans chapter 6 verse 2. He says, how can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? And then in Romans 7, you have very similar language. Likewise, my brothers and sisters, you also died to the law through the body of Christ. See the sort of parallel there uh, between sin and the law? Uh, and in Romans 6, chapter 3, uh, sorry, <laughs> chapter, Romans 6, verse 3. Um, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? So there's union there. And in chapter 7, verse 4, um, you've died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead. That sense of union with Christ. So we died to sin, we died to the law. We have union with Christ through his death. We have union with Christ. We're freed from sin. Now, I'm not going to go through all of these together, but we're freed from sin. We're freed from the law. Um, you can look up the references later if you, if you want. Um, we share in Christ's resurrection, we're told. And we share with him who was raised from the dead. We now live in newness of life and we serve in newness of the spirit. It leads to our holiness and we're born of God. And um, there's a bit more there. Uh, we were slaves to sin, but now we've been set free from sin. And we were controlled by the sinful nature in Romans 7, but now we've been released from the law. Some great parallels there. I encourage you at home, maybe read through chapter 6 again and then read through chapter 7 and, and see the parallels between um, sin and law in the two passages. But that, of course, then might cause you to ask the question that Paul articulates here in verse 7. What then shall we say, that the law is sin? So you might say, well, it seems to be that Paul is relating to, to sin and the law quite similarly. So is the law bad? Is it not a good thing for us? Or is it actually, is the law the thing that causes us to sin? Paul says, by no means. And so we come to point two, the believer's knowledge of sin is from law. Is the law sin? No, says Paul. And it's an emphatic sort of a no, isn't it? Yeah? Yes, it's an emphatic sort of a no. By no means, he says. If it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. And so what the law does is it shows us what sin is. It's, it's not sinful. It's not bad. Paul goes on to say quite emphatically in verse 12, So the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. But the sin shows us what uh, sorry, the sin. The law shows us what is sin. The law shows us what is bad, what is wrong. 
And there's a repeated phrase here in verses 8 and verse 11 where it says, Sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. And then in verse 11, Sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. And this uh, idea of sin seizing an opportunity is, uh, the, the word that's used is, is sort of like, um, it's like a military base. It's the starting point of operations and, and sin's got this, this spot that it launches out from. And the law is that spot that sin launches out from. You might recall in his message last week, Jonathan talked about when Joanna had gone away, that there's this sense of, here's this list of rules, and and that just made him not want to do it. (laughs) And sin's a bit like that, isn't it? That's what Paul says. You know, we wouldn't have known what coveting was if it wasn't for the fact that the law tells us what coveting is, but then having been told what it is, we then almost, because of our rebelliousness, we always want to do what we're told not to do, don't we? No one likes to be told what to do. That's part of our sinful nature. We want to establish control for ourselves. We want to be able to be the master of my own soul, the captain of my own ship. But by holding on to that desire to make our own choices when we see the law we want to go against it and that's what Paul is suggesting that is that sin uses the commandment to tempt us but that's sin at work And the commandment is the word of God. And the laws are God's laws. And Paul wants us to know that the commandment, even though it promises life, because of sin, it proves to be death to us. Now, we were talking um, at Sermon and Scripture about how could you illustrate this and true to form, um, Jonathan and I both being males who like sport, we've come up with a sporting analogy um, so I apologise to those who don't like sport but I think you might uh, understand and, and uh, sort of appreciate the analogy. Look, the law is like the umpire in the game of basketball, the referee and When a player does the wrong thing, the umpire blows his or her whistle. Now, they're just pointing out that you've done the wrong thing. And the umpire isn't in the wrong. The umpire didn't cause you to do that. Uh, I like basketball. And in the game of basketball, um, players who know the rules, that brings a temptation to to break the rules. Um, So I'll, I'll just sort of give you a bit of an illustration that in the game of basketball um, if, if you're trying to shoot for a goal and someone bangs you it's meant to be a non-contact sport haha um, if someone touches you while you're in the act of shooting that's a foul 
And so what players do is they try to they try to what they call draw fouls. So they'll be here as if they're about to try and shoot a shot, and they'll they'll do what's called a pump fake, where they'll they'll pretend to shoot, and they'll get the defender who's there trying to stop them, and the defender will jump up. And once they've jumped up, the player who's done the pump fake knows that they've got them. Because if the, the guy in the air touches the player who's trying to shoot, then the guy in the air has caused the foul. And so the player who's trying to shoot, he pump fakes, and then the other guy's in the air, and so the player steps forward. And the other guy is in the air, so he can't really change where he is, and he lands on the player who's trying to shoot, and that's a foul. And you can see it, they really try and, they try and use this. And sometimes you think, oh, that's just not fair. They can't do that. And sometimes they get away with it and a foul is called. But sometimes it's recognized that they're actually going against the rules. But what they've done is they've looked at the rules and they've thought to themselves, hey, I could, I could get around this. I could use this to my advantage. I could do the wrong thing here and still get away with it. Now, that doesn't make the rule the bad thing and it doesn't make the umpire the bad thing. In fact, if we had no rules, the game would be chaos, wouldn't it? And the rules help the game to run smoothly. I'm going to come back to that in a a couple of minutes, but um, the fact that we have an umpire and we have rules is good. The fact that we look at the rules and we're tempted to break them, that's sin at work in us, isn't it? And that sin at work in us does not negate the goodness of the law. And so Paul concludes this section. The law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good, in order that sin might be shown to be sin and that the commandment might be and that the commandment might become sinful beyond measure the law shows us sin sin uses that commandment to tempt us but that doesn't make the law sinful okay we come to the final section and this is the believer's conflict with law or you could suggest the believer's conflict with sin, but um, what we have here is a passage which is really well known um, and can be a little confusing because of all the, the times that Paul says, you know, the word law and, and good and... Uh, it's. I'm going to read it and you'll... You'll probably agree with me, it sounds confusing. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am the flesh sold under sin. I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. 
Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. He sounds schizophrenic, doesn't he? But what he's saying is, I keep doing the wrong thing. Even though I know that this is the right thing. And he says, I have the desire to do what is right. In fact, a little later on, he says, I delight in the law of God in my inner being. He says, this is what I really want to do, but this is what I keep doing. It's, it's so dramatic, this passage, that it's led some commentators to suggest, well, is Paul talking here about what happened before he was a Christian, of how he related to things before he was a Christian? I don't believe that's the case. You see, because earlier in the chapter, he's been talking about everything in the past tense. But when he comes to these verses from 14 through to 25, he's talking in the present tense. He's saying, this is how I struggle now. And in fact, he's got, he says... He delights in the law of God in my inner being. In the Old Testament, it's promised to us that when the Holy Spirit comes into our lives by faith, that God will give us a new heart, a heart that beats with his commands. And so Paul has that new heart. He's been given by God a desire to carry out the good that God calls him to. But yet, and this is the reality of human life, he keeps doing what he does not want to do. See, the problem with the law is that it's powerless to save us from slavery to sin. You see, the umpire can blow the whistle when you do the wrong thing, but the umpire can't score the points for you. The law can hold up the standard and say, this is what you should be doing. But the law doesn't give you the power to do what it calls for. Who gives us that power? Jesus. You've died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead in order that you may bear fruit for God. When we die to the law through faith in Christ, when we die to sin through faith in Christ, he starts his good work in us. He gives us his Holy Spirit and we start to become people 
who not only have a desire to do what is good, but who are able to do what is good. Now, we don't do it all the time because that old sinful nature is at war within us and this is the war that Paul talks about. Verse 22, For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law, waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. And he gets quite passionate about this. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Can you hear the anguish there? That the very thing he wants to do, he keeps not doing and he keeps doing the thing he doesn't want to do. Can you hear the heartache within him? Have you felt that heartache yourself? You've heard and accepted the love of God through Jesus Christ. You've placed your faith in him. You're told that you're meant to be an overcomer. And yet, you still keep doing the wrong thing. I can't tell you how many times in my own heart, I've cried out with anguish that I keep doing the wrong thing, even though I want to do what's right. And this is the struggle that Paul is identifying for us. And this is a wonderful passage because it, it speaks of the reality of the Christian walk. It's not all roses and sunshine. There can be difficult days where we don't do what we're meant to and we feel the condemnation of our own spirit within us saying, why do you keep doing the wrong thing, Chris? Yet, the fact that our heart desires to do the right thing is an evidence of Christ in us, is an evidence of the new heart that we've been given by God. Praise God. When he cries out, wretched man that I am, Paul then goes on and says, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus delivers us from this body of death. We're no longer dead. Spiritually, we're alive when we have placed our faith in Jesus And Jesus is the one who gives us the power to overcome. The law can't do that. There's a wonderful quote from C.S. Lewis. It was from a letter he wrote to a friend. He says, I know all about the despair of overcoming chronic temptations. No amount of falls will really undo us if we keep on picking ourselves up each time. We all shall, of course, be very muddy and tattered children by the time we reach home, but the bathrooms are all ready, the towels put out, and the clean clothes are in the airing cupboard. The only fatal thing is to lose one's temper and give it up. 
It is when we notice the dirt that God is most present in us. It is the very sign of his presence. You know, before he became a believer in Jesus, and Paul talks about that time, and, and he talks about being a person who, who could boast in himself, who was faultless as to the law. But when he became a believer in Christ, the law and the Holy Spirit began convicting him of sin so that he even calls himself the chief of sinners. It's, it's a very true thing that as we become closer to Christ, we become more convicted, more sorrowful over our sin. Before we were Christians, we didn't care about it. We did whatever we wanted. But when Christ comes into our lives, we recognize that we don't deserve his love, but he gives it anyway. And we recognize that we keep doing the wrong thing even though we want to do the right thing and Jesus loves us and he gives us release from our body of death he gives us new life in our hearts he makes it possible for us to live a life which is gradually overcoming we won't get there until that day when he takes us to be with himself and his work is complete in us. Oh, what a day that will be. John Newton wrote, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. How do we apply this? Make it personal. Um, you might have noticed I, I did the outline in the third person. The believer's death to law, the believer's knowledge of sin from law, the believer's conflict from law. But I want to encourage you in application to make it personal. I died to the law through Christ. I died to the law through the body of Christ. I know sin because of the law. And I have conflict with the law. But thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. He has released me from this body of death. Make it personal. This is not some theoretical um, exercise. Do you struggle? Do you struggle with sin? Thank God that your heart has been changed to desire to do what is right. We don't try to do what is right because 
That's what our family says. We don't try to do what is right because, well, it's written in the Bible, so I better, or I'll be in big trouble. We don't try to do what is right because if I don't, I'm going to get sent to hell. God changes our heart so that we desire to do what is right. And so when you're struggling, take heart in your change of heart. Be like C.S. Lewis suggests and keep picking yourself up. And recognize that when we notice the dirt, that's when God is most present in us. And finally, we can apply this by crying out for the salvation of Jesus. Maybe, maybe you haven't known that change of heart yet. Maybe you've been wanting to know how it is that you can escape the body of death. How it is that you can escape the despair. Cry out to Jesus wretched man that I am, wretched woman that I am. Who's going to save me? Jesus, I need your salvation. Jesus saves us. The band's going to play our final song. It's one we did earlier, Jesus, uh, Jesus does. And during the song... If you're a Christian and you've been struggling with sin and you want some encouragement in prayer, I invite you to come up the front and stand with me. I'm going to stand down here. If that struggle, if you've been crying out inside and you want some help, come down the front and receive prayer. If you've never trusted in Jesus fully, but you feel the despair of sin in your life and you want to be set free from your body of death, I invite you to come down the front. We'd love to pray with you. And so just, I'm going to go and stand down there while the song happens and you can just come and, and we'll pray with you. Now, there'll be others would join me to, to pray with people, some of our elders and some of our prayer team. If you need the salvation of Jesus, cry out for it today.